We're live. Recapping week one. Every single tiny particle, spectacle, microscopical piece of information you need to know regarding fantasy football after week one. What a doozy. What a good day of football. Holy shit. The Falcons win by two touchdowns. Bijan Robinson pops. But are we worried? Are we worried with Tyler Algier? We got a lot to worry about today. We've got injuries to talk about. We've got depth charts to hop. We've got it all. We're going game by game. Every single game that was played starting from Thursday night football through last night where Dallas came into our hometown. They came into BDGE turf and embarrassed every single friend that I grew up with. I actually love to see it. I'm not a I'm not a New York fan for any sport except for the Knicks because all of my friends are so fucking annoying. Never want to see them win another championship again in my life. It's a little bit dramatic. They're still my friends. But, my God, it's nice to see the Giants get beat down every once in a while, man. Dallas is for real. A lot of teams are for real. A lot of teams are for fake. A lot of fraudulent teams out there. We're going we're gonna to cut through it all. We're going to cut through all the bullshit, okay? And if you're new here, Underdog's got uh, this beautiful special running now where anybody who's new, you don't need to hit it at a perfect time where they're running a special. Literally anyone who's new to the Underdog platform, I got a lot of notifications yesterday uh, about tailing my picks from Sunday's video, Saturday's video, Sunday's video. Uh, we hit a lot of Underdog yesterday. We hit like three, three I think, slips. So we came in this morning with a, with a fatter bank account. Things are going up the the company's not going bankrupt for another week or so neither are the Atlanta Falcons hang I hope everybody's uh football Sunday was fantastic hope you ate too much I hope you felt like a fat piece of shit I started my day off with two bacon egg and cheeses off the rip like back to back ordered one on everything bagel one on a roll we're about to get on fucking roll all right so go cop that underdog play right now it's up there, 0.5 yards, anybody. They're going to give you a mystery play. I don't know who it is, but it's there. I promise you it's there. So go sign up on Underdog, code BDGE. We're going to be doing UD slips all week, all season long. Let's throw up the game tab. You know what? You know, let, Let's start with a, like a quick recap of the week just in terms of uh, general thoughts. So I think one of the first things that people tend to do in week one, we're not going to overreact. We're going to react perfectly. I'm going to get mad. I'm going to yell. But every reaction I have is perfect. It's not over or underreacting. I'm going to tell you what's right, and I'm going to tell you what's wrong. We're going to use some numbers. We're going to use some logic. We're going to use a lot of this, a lot of heart in this stream today. But by the end of it, you're going to learn. You're going to fucking learn today. I don't know if you're going to learn anything useful, but you're going to learn something. Something about me. Overall, I feel pretty good about our analysis all summer. You know, I think the more low-key you keep the analysis, the more like level-headed you keep it typically turns out to be obviously we were wrong on a few things very 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 few things but overall I think we pointed our viewers in the right direction depending on where you're sitting right now this was um this was just an all-time bad day from many quarterbacks many tight ends it was a lot of bad weather played on opening weekend which I I feel like is not something we typically see because it's still summer but we had a ton of rainfall whether it's New England Philly Cleveland, Cincinnati, like we had a lot of weather affecting games and affecting the ability to throw the ball in this one, which led to a lot of shitty fantasy play, a lot of shitty quarterback play. And it wasn't just the shitty weather, right? We talk about like Burrow, but we also talk about Desmond Ritter 
and Bryce Young in that game and, and Ryan Tannehill and Dobbs and Justin Fields. Just a lot of really poor quarterback play. And it led to really, really, really poor tight end play. So we'll panic a little bit. We'll panic on some things. We won't panic on other things. We're talking about like Darnold Parham was a tight end three on the week. Like, what are we talking about here? All right. Also, I want to just throw this into the chat real quick. Um, actually, we'll do that later. Fuck it. Let's get to the games. Let's get to the games. That's what you guys are all here for. Boom. First one up. We're just going to go tab by tab. We're going to look at the box scores, but I'm going to give you some more in-depth breakdown on what I saw in the games because obviously I, I watch the games for for a living, unfortunately. I got to go back and watch a lot of the games. Uh, Detroit and Kansas City started the week off. Thursday Night Football. Listen, we predicted the Chiefs to win. We pre- we predicted the Chiefs to come away with a victory in Arrowhead. This was one of the worst performances we've seen out of a Kansas City team and in the Patrick Mahomes era, but quite possibly the worst we've ever seen. Uh, the receivers were awful. And this was this was like the, the last few updates we made to the draft guide were that based on where their receivers and the running backs are going, they were all fades. We just have absolutely no clarity or solidarity behind who should we who who we should want in these backfields and in this receiving group but it turns out the answer is just nobody because this offense had trouble moving without Travis Kelsey Casey obviously wins this game still obviously right it's a fact a matter of fact if Kadarius Tony isn't like literally the worst player in the National Football League PFF actually released their grades a little while ago and he had the single worst receiving grade of any receiver in the NFL this week and that would come to a surprise come as a surprise to a not a single person Kadarius Tony was bad. He is 100% droppable, but there's nobody worth owning in the receiver group. Like I'd hold on to Sky Moore just because he was so buzzy this summer and he ran a lot of routes. Got no action though. Got no play. Guy had three targets, didn't catch a single ball. Like I'd hold on to him for one more week. Uh, the running back group: Pacheco eight for 23, Clyde for six for 22. It's just uh, it's just not good all around. There are no skill players you could trust on this team outside of Travis Kelsey, who. Maybe he's back next week. Maybe he's not back next week. You want to go in on, on Noah Gray. He ran a lot of routes. He actually led the team in routes run, had five targets. But this is also, like, the least surprising thing ever. A tight end scores for the Chiefs. Travis Kelsey's not there. It's got to be Noah Gray, right? No, it's it's Blake Bell. That, that was just also not surprising. So you have no confidence in any of these guys, right? We just know we're starting Patrick Mahomes, and we know we're starting Kelsey when he's in the lineup. On the flip side, however, on the flippity flip side, Detroit, I think there are a lot of takeaways here. First off, um, the David Montgomery-Jameer Gibbs splits are serious. 21 carries and 74 yards for David Montgomery. Didn't look great. He was their bruiser, but they kept him in on pass blocking. He did blow one big block that became like a clip. But David Montgomery was a beast otherwise. He was very good at pass blocking. And it makes sense, right? This was... Best ball warped a lot of people's brains this summer. This was something I said like right before kickoff, I remember. and, And just the fact that... Gibbs was going so much higher than Montgomery. And don't let me get past that point. Gibbs looked fantastic. But seven carries and just two targets is malpractice. Then again, they came away with the win. So what works is what works is what works. They want to play tough nose football. And um, Jameer Gibbs had seven carries. On those seven carries, he broke six tackles. Six missed tackles forced. That led the NFL. That led all NFL running backs despite seven carries, which was 42nd among NFL running backs. It's not good, but what Gibbs did, one, Gibbs made 
Montgomery look like what Calvin Ridley did to Zay Jones in that clip that went viral like a month ago. Jameer Gibbs made me understand. Jameer Gibbs in this game, watching this game, made me understand why they got rid of Swift. You could say like, oh, Gibbs is just a 10-pound lighter version of DeAndre Swift. Like, no. No. No, you. Jameer Gibbs is so fucking fast, dude. Jameer Gibbs looks like he shot out of a cannon every time he touches the ball. He is elusive. He looked, the contact balance was real. So despite like the snap split and despite the lack of work there, Jameer Gibbs' days ahead are going to be bright as shit. Montgomery very clearly has a spot in this offense. Now, Gibbs fell on a goal line carry. Or was that like the seven or eight yard line? He fell, he cut back, and then he fell. He, had, he has a touchdown if he doesn't fall there. Counterpoint, counterpoint, flip the script. David Montgomery doesn't actually come out of the game for that carry if his cleat doesn't slip off the play before that. So we could play a lot of what ifs. At the end of the day, Jameer Gibbs got you 60 yards on nine touches. That's what week one was. I kind of think that's his floor. Like, he is so efficient and so explosive that his 18-yard run, the longest play of the game, is probably something we can expect every week. We could expect, like, two of those types of plays every single week. If one of them ends up being one that goes to the cribbo, you've got a huge fantasy day. I imagine he's going to continue working more and more into the lineup. But if it doesn't happen in week two or week three, don't freak out. I think he's a second-half-of-the-year type player. Uh, Gibbs is actually – he wasn't someone I was drafting heavily at his price in the, you know, the end of the third, fourth, fifth round even – but he's someone that I would absolutely trade for right now. And uh, tomorrow's video on this channel, here's how the content schedule is going to work in season. Every Monday, I'm going to go live for these around, you know, 1.32 p.m. Eastern time. So make sure you got notifications turned on for the channel. And we'll be going game by game, every single game of the week, breaking down everything I saw for y'all. Um, Tuesday will be waiver wires, bright and early. We'll have our waiver wire rankings, you know, fab, how much to blow on them, et cetera, et cetera. Wednesday, me and J-Mo are going to chop up on a trade target podcast. We'll probably bring like four or five of our favorite buys or sells to the table. That'll go live Wednesday. Uh, Thursday, we'll have our Thursday night football preview show every Thursday morning. Friday, J-Mo is going to do his rankings video where he breaks down his top, you know, 30, 40 running backs, wide receivers. Saturday, we got the Q&A assault. So Q&A sits start. Sunday, live stream, game day, live stream, et cetera, et cetera. So seven days a week. As always, seven days a week in the offseason, in the in-season, in the season season. Don't fucking matter. We're here seven days a week. So make sure you're subscribed and you got the notifications turned on. So that being said, I'm on Raw, still the GOAT. Uh, Sam Laporta, 5 for 39. Nice little rookie debut. But uh, I don't know if we can expect a lot of like explosive plays from him. How utilized in the red zone is he going to be? I'm on Raw, get so many of those targets. I told you all Josh Reynolds was my play of the night on underdog. His line was set at like 23 and a half yards. That was an easy smash over. He's just the forgotten guy there until Jameson Williams returns. So if you're in a deeper league, you need a receiver. I kind of like Josh Reynolds uh, a little bit. So Thursday night football, Gibbs, Montgomery, both big plays. Panthers, Falcons, man, I could sit here for about 20 minutes just talking about this game. Let's start with, um, man, where do where the fuck do we even start? All right, Panthers, Bryce Young had his first game. Obviously didn't didn't look didn't look great. But then again, the Panthers offense just completely lacks any juice. Was not going to help anywhere. Miles Sanders, 18 for 72, four catches, 26 yards. So he 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 almost hits 100 yards, but wasn't great on the on the ground. Wasn't really providing any juice for the offense. Was kind of just like a grinder. Uh, Chuba Hubbard played a lot of snaps. 
went nine for 60 on the ground, had a 21-yard run. So he was breaking some plays. He had two targets. He was using a lot of short yardage work, which was kind of interesting. And it feels like there's going to be a little bit of a split here. But maybe once Miles Sanders gets to the 20-22 touch mark, you, you kind of have to start siphoning off some, some work to another running back. Sanders, this is kind of who I expected Sanders to be. He's not a great pass catching back. He is not like a, a great running back to begin with. His vision is a little bit skewy. And I think if he's on a great team and he's getting this volume, great. But he's on the Panthers, who are going to be a team that fucking struggles for probably the entirety of the year. So for me, he's like a low end RB2 just because of the volume that he gets. And Chuba seems to be his very clear handcuff. In the receiving game, it was just disgusting all around. There's nobody that you could start here. Hayden Hurst, though, is a dude that I was kind of pumping up for best ball all summer long just saying he's going to run every route he's on the field 100 of the time and i guess that just led to targets he did end up being the one that got into the end zone so you could do worse than hayden hurst i'm pretty sure he's literally like the tight end one on the week right now it's like hayden hurst and hunter henry like them two dudes are elite those dudes are elite in fantasy right now so hurst is not someone i'm like excited against my lineup by any means but if you're rocking with somebody i mean listen Dallas Goddard might not have been the biggest hit of the offseason for us, but he's fine. We're not panicking on him. But Hayden Hurst, you could definitely do worse then. On the flip side of the ball, we got a lot of shit to take away. My God. You tell me Desmond Ritter completes 15 of 18 passes. I don't know what the number – I don't know what that translates to. What is that, like 78%, 82% completion rate? Dude had 115 yards, one touchdown. Here's Here's one of the biggest problems I have with Atlanta right now. We win this game by two touchdowns, right? Their pass blocking was pathetic yesterday. Their pass rush was even more pathetic. Bryce Young had all day. He could have actually, he was surgical, but he literally could have performed surgery in the pocket if he wanted to. If like one of his linemen went down with a broken toe, Bryce Young could have laid him down, performed the surgery, cracked it back into place. The guy could have got up, continued blocking for him, and Bryce Young would still have time in the fucking pocket to throw the ball. Our pass rush is, oh, it's so fucking frustrating, man. But we came away with the dub, thanks in part, or mostly in part, to our running game. Now, a few things I want to bring up here. One, um, this the split here is very clear, right? Tyler Algier got a shit ton of work. 15 carries, 75 yards. Also had three targets, caught three balls, two touchdowns. That That's like the biggest problem that fantasy players are going to have here. We see Tyler Algier, he's taking the goal line work. Do I think that's fluky? No, I don't. I think we are... are, are Arthur Smith does not trust Desmond Ritter, despite telling us that he trusts him for the last six months. And and give credit to the Panthers' defense. Their defensive rush between Derek Williams and um, – sorry, Derek Brown, excuse me. Derek Brown and fucking Brian Burns, like, lived in Ritter's face. Listen to this stat. There was a point in the game when Desmond Ritter had 10 pass attempts. 10 pass attempts. And of those 10 pass attempts, he had either been sacked – or hit 10 times. Every single time this dude was dropping back, he was hit by the defensive line of the Carolina Panthers. Some of it was him holding the ball too much. Some of it was terrible fucking uh, scheming. Like, there's a lot of problems here in the passing game. And, and I want people to understand the Atlanta Falcons offensive line is elite running the ball. They ha have the probably the best run blocking unit in the NFL right now. Their pass blocking is good for sure above average, but they're not on the same level as the run blocking side of things with the traits that their offensive linemen have their run blocking unit. Incredible. 
this is going to be what Atlanta relies on. Now, again, like 26 carries between the two of them. We're leading most of the game. We feel comfortable. Like, this is the game plan. We don't trust Ritter. There, of course, are going to be games where we get down and we're going to have to have Ritter throw the ball more. That probably becomes problematic for our offense. But I also do think that's where Bijan Robinson has bigger games. And, like, I get it. Algier scored twice. And Bijan could have went for a fucking 30-piece in fantasy yesterday. He still ended up having 16 touches, went for, what, 95, 95 yards, 85 yards, and a touchdown. Six catches. Like, dude ran the most routes. He had the most targets by two. He doubled everyone else's catch totals with six. So wasn't used heavily down the field. But, like, for the first game in a script where they were using their bruiser, like, we'll, we'll fucking take it. If we look at some of the bookmarked things that I grabbed from Twitter this morning, the way I do my process for, like, recapping the games. Obviously, I watch all the games yesterday and then go back to, like, um, game plan or whatever, NFL game plan, whatever the fuck that thing is called. And rewatch any things that I feel like I need to rewatch to get a better grasp on the games. But I'll also listen to a ton of podcasts that do recaps. And I'll go through Twitter and like bookmark things that I find helpful from week one. And Dwayne McFarlane from um, Fantasy Life said, one more note on the Bijan versus Algier rushing attempt split. So the first three quarters, Bijan had 60% of the rushing attempts. Algier had 40%. In the fourth quarter, Bijan 9%. Algier 82%. The, great, the game script could matter a lot. Falcons led by four plus on nine of the 15 plays in the fourth quarter. So very easy to look at the raw snap counts and say like, oh shit, Algier is going to be a problem. And don't get me wrong. I do think that that will be the case. I do think Algier is going to get a nice piece of the pie there on the goal line. But a lot of things factor into the goal line when you have backs like this. Like it, one of them might might have been out of breath. One of them just might have like, it, those things happen on the goal line, man. So if you give one of those carries to Bijan and he scores two touchdowns, we're not even really looking at this as something that we should be worried about, right? Bijan comes away with two touchdowns from this game. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily worried about it because his utilization in terms of the passing game, they passed the ball to him on like the eight yard line where he ran in that fucking majestic receiving touchdown. Um, if if you have Bijan, he was your first round pick. You're going to be fine. He's going to make big plays over and over and over again. Um, I think he could be utilized in a more effective way in the passing game when Desmond Ritter has more time. Not like yesterday when he had it fucking zero percent time uh, against the Carolina Panthers pass rush. Now, on the passing side of things, like Algiers, obviously someone you want to own. If you're a Bijan Robinson owner, Algiers, like, must have handcuff material. And clearly, he has standalone value in good game script uh, type games. Would I be comfortable starting him on a week to week basis? Probably not, unless we're, like, actually favored. Who do we play next week? We play against the Packers, and I think we're actually – I think that's a pick game. But, like, that I actually wouldn't really hate. I think Algier is, like, kind of playable, probably as, like, a, a lower-end flex guy because he will get, you know, 15 touches most likely. They they want to establish a run here in Atlanta, and I'm for it because Bijan's fucking incredible. Now, the problem with establishing the run is that Kyle Pitts has three targets and Drake London has one target, and this was what everybody was worried about. What happens when Desmond Ritter throws the ball 18 times? Well, this is what happens. Bijan Robinson has a 33% target share, and Kyle Pitts barely catches any balls. He had a really fucking nice catch. That 34-yard pass was quite beautiful, and that's the thing that everyone is projecting him to start doing consistently, which clearly is not going to happen until Desmond Ritter is not the quarterback anymore. Drake London, one target, zero yards. That's problematic. This is not overreacting based on the fact that this was how everybody was reacting all summer. 
Overreacting is when you believe one thing all summer and then one thing happens in week one and then you look the other way. Reacting correctly is when all summer everyone's like Desmond Ritter's passing volume is going to be really low and it's going to hurt London and Pitts. And then in week one, Desmond Ritter's passing volume is really low and then it hurts London and Pitts. That's not overreacting. That is exactly is what happening is what is happening is what is happening is what we said was going to be happening. So we have to look at this and take this for what it is. Will London and Pitts have better days? Actually, I can't even certifiably say that for Kyle Pitts because this feels like an average fucking day at the office for him. Drake London is a much better player than these numbers suggest. I also think what I've been saying all summer is Matt Collins is a real target. Matt Collins is a real wide receiver too in this offense, which is going to take away targets on the other wide receivers. So Drake London right now, to me, is like a low-end wide receiver three that I would definitely be okay starting other players over him in my lineup until we see something different out of him, until we see something different out of the Atlanta Falcons passing offense. Kyle Pitts has been lower on the spectrum than uh, most tight ends every single week, and he will continue to be like a fringe top 10 play. So these are dudes that, yeah, you you absolutely need to be worried about because we are seeing exactly what we thought we were going to see. And that, that's another example of like, our brains being warped by best ball. Like by the end of the summer, Drake London was going out like the 311, 312, 41. It's like everybody fucking calm down, settle down. You got guys like Aaron Jones going at the fucking four or five turn. You got Brandon Ayuk going at the four or five turn. You got Drake London going like the 311. Makes me fucking sick. All right. Next game. Who do we got? Bengals Browns. Yep. Like I said, one of the, I can't imagine Joey Burrows had a worse day on the field in this 14 for 31, 82 yards, 2.6 yards per attempt, uh, zero touchdowns. Just I, I, here's what I'm willing to do. This was really bad weather. This is really bad. Weather is downpouring the entire game. Um, one thing that was very evidently clear is that Joe Burrow needed the summer to get ready for this week. He came out and said that after the game, he also is someone who has been adamant about saying he hates wearing gloves as a quarterback. And he put them on, I think like a quarter into this game. That's the weather for you. Um, last year, he missed all of summer, and in week one, he threw four interceptions, and he was fine. I'm not worried about his long term. You want to? You want me to tell you who you should never listen to again? Like, if you're listening to a bunch of podcasts right now and you're trying to figure out who you should be listening to in season, the first person that tells you to buy low on Cincinnati players is the first per- person that you should wipe off your podcast playlist. That is it. That it's just like the laziest. most obvious like I live in my mom's basement I don't want to do any actual work type shit okay so people talking about buying low no one's fucking selling Jamar Chase low no one's selling Joe Burrow low like stop the shit T Higgins zero catches on eight targets is that ever happening again no okay like let's get real here Joe Mixon is exactly who we thought he was this was something I talked a lot about on the Sunday live stream when underdog put their slips up they had a lot of these backs posted at and this this is a great example of it because I was like unless you're a Nick Chubb elite level type of back your yardage number for the game should not be at 85 95 yards Nick Chubb I was like Nick Chubb is like one of the only types of guys that I would bet the over on everybody else were taking the under on right like Joe Mixon's line was set at like 85 Cam Akers was at 85 Raheem Moser was at 85 I was like you take those and J.K. Dobbins was at like 75 85 obviously he got hurt but I'm just saying all those guys were not elite level talents their markers on betting slips on player prop parlays should not be set at 85. All these dudes going into next week are going to be down at 65. That's why it's so fun betting on week one. And you can still take advantage of it in week two. I think there are a lot of shitty lines that people are still trying to like figure out what to look for. But this is this is the time to really make a lot of money on these sites, okay? And if you're new to Underdog, again, 
use our code BDGE when you sign up on the platform, they're going to double whatever you put down and they're going to give you a free square. They're going to give you a free square of 0.5 yards on somebody, a mystery player. Easy over, free money. You love to see it. Download the Underdog app. Use promo code BDGE when you do so. They'll hit you with a 100% deposit match. That's linked down below. So if you want to just hang out for the rest of the live stream and then click it afterwards, bing, bang, boom. So Joe Burrow, terrible. I'm wiping out everything we had to see about Cincinnati. Chris Evans and Trayvon Williams did monopolize most of the third down work, which is, again, what we saw last year. But Mixon, Mixon low-key, like... He, he kind of ate last year in the passing game. He wasn't great, but he got a lot of volume. And even in this game, when he was only playing first and second downs, he got five targets. Now, a lot of that, again, probably was because of the fact that Joe Burrow couldn't push the ball downfield, couldn't throw the ball downfield accurately. And we'll see kind of how that changes. But I expect a lot of the same out of Mixon, where it's just three yards in a cloud of dust, four yards in a cloud of dust. You know, maybe one big play a game, but unlikely. I also think the Bengals um, will be, be favored in more games than not, so the game script will work in his favor a little bit. Regardless, we're wiping this one out. On the flip side of things, Deshaun Watson, listen, for the weather, I think he had some bad passes. His interception was one of the worst throws I might have ever seen in my entire life for an NFL quarterback. But again, like it's slippery out there, and the balls are fucking flying everywhere. And if you can't get good grip on the ball, the balls are not going to be accurate. So Watson, what would you love to see? Five for 45 and a touchdown on the ground, right? He had a bad game, a bad game, bad weather. Like everything was disgusting. And the dude still walks away with like 20, 22 plus fantasy points. So while it didn't look great, I expect things to continue to get better and better for this offense. So I am cautiously very excited about Deshaun Watson right now because I have him in a lot of leagues and I got a lot riding on him. Uh, Nick Chubb does his thing. Jerome Ford, the clear running back two here, got 15 carries. That, again, feels uh, a lot like the product of the game script where they got up big. They got up early. It was a ground and pound type game. So if you have Nick Chubb, it feels like Jerome Ford is the clear running back to own behind him. They brought in Pierre Strong, but he was not playing whatsoever. Uh, the passing game, not much to take away here again. It wasn't like a big pass. The other thing too, Marquise Goodwin at the bottom of this uh, at the bottom of this list, two targets. I believe both of those should have been like kind of easy walking touchdowns. They sent him deep as they should because he's a fucking All American track star. And uh, Watson missed him on both deep balls. He connects on one of those. You're looking at a huge boost on everyone's box scores. Okay, so again, with better days, I am fine with both of these offenses. I don't, I don't really care how this game played itself out. Jags, Colts. This is a fun one. Trevor Lawrence looks like the fucking... Uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be so good. Uh, Travis Etienne, Tank Bigsby. Kind of an interesting um, dynamic here where we're a little bit worried throughout the year of who is going to get the goal line carries and tank Bigsby actually was the one that got both of the goal line carries in this game. Okay. He didn't do well whatsoever. He looked like a frantic rookie out there. Seven for 13 on the ground, 1.9 yards per carry fumbled the ball. Like he, he was just kind of all over the place did score a touchdown, but that was what we were worried about. Travis Etienne. Does he get the goal line work? seems like no for now, but I do think if Etienne continues to play well and tank continues to kind of be shitty, those roles could flip. And Etienne is just so fucking explosive. You saw it on that 26 yard touchdown run. He had like, 18 for 77 touchdown, also caught five passes for 27 yards. So you're going to give him 23 yards or 23 touches. Uh, I don't really give a fuck about the goal line work. ETN could be someone that like we we cautiously missed on. I wasn't like a complete fade on him, but actually I kind of was, I guess. I was just staying away from him at his like end of third, early fourth round price because I thought Tank was going to play way more into this game. And I guess if you look at it, if he doesn't bust that touchdown run, Tank takes the goal line work. You are looking at something that was kind of along the lines of the analysis, but ETN, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good with if I have him in my leagues uh, as a low-end RB1 for sure. 
Now, the receivers. Holy fuck. Here, here's what you have to do. If you are if you were one of the fucking idiots that was fading Calvin Ridley because he's been out of the league, just, just cut your losses now. If you continue to, like, spell that narrative, if you continue to be one of those guys that can't let go here, you're just going to look like more and more of a fucking idiot because Calvin Ridley is as good as he has ever been. 11 targets, 8 for 101 and a touchdown. Holy shit, this guy was open on every play. T-Law was looking his way on every play. We're talking about like a 35% target share. Oh my God, Calvin Ridley is the alpha. He is the epsilon. He is the beta. He is all encapsulating, all encapsulating the omega. If you have Calvin Ridley on your fantasy team, congratulations, you have a wide receiver one going forward. I don't want to say he's like an elite high-end wide receiver one, but I also am not going to not say that on camera. So take that as you may. The bigger concern here is Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. Now, we got a little bit of glimpse in the preseason of how this wide receiver room was going to split up, right? Like, okay, Ridley's clearly on the outside as one of the wide receiver ones. We have um, Zay Jones and Christian Kirk. How does this play itself out, right? And I've been saying all summer, Zay Jones is my highest owned player in underdog drafts. By far and away, best ball. 11th, 12th round pick every goddamn time. But I didn't expect him to be the wide receiver two in this offense. Throughout the preseason, though, we saw in 11 personnel, it was Kirk in the middle as a slot guy. It was Zay Jones. It was Calvin Ridley. Two wide receivers, one wide receiver in the middle. When they ran two wide receiver sets, a lot of the time it was Zay Jones and Calvin Ridley. And I was like, I don't know. That feels like just some preseason bullshit. And Christian Kirk just popped last year. I got news for y'all. Yesterday, Calvin Ridley, 34 routes run. Zay Jones, 33 routes run. Christian Kirk, 23 routes run. Christian Kirk's still a talented player. And I almost actually feel like this might put him into like a little bit of a buy low category because you just want players attached to high-scoring offenses, especially in the passing game. But it not a great start for Kirk. He is, he is running as the wide receiver three here. So it's a little bit concerning, but I think he's talented enough, attached to a talented enough quarterback that I'm not like overly worried about it. You know what I'm saying? So Zay Jones, if you got him, he is he's a good flex play. I'm not going to get overly indulgent in Mr. Zay Jones because I already did that all motherfucking summer long. Sit starts, he's still probably in like the low end wide receiver three, wide receiver four type of bucket because he'll have his bad games. But I think he's relatively involved enough, man. If you're going to be the outside wide receiver attached to one of the more efficient quarterbacks in the league, you're probably going to have a nice high floor. On the flip side of things, Anthony Richardson, first game. Good outing. Good outing for the most part. I will say, like, a lot of you guys probably won't do the type of digging that I do on a Monday morning. And that's not me flexing. That actually makes me feel like a pretty big fucking loser. A lot of you guys are going to look at box scores and see stats or whatnot and, and take conclusions away from it. But there's just so much context to be added to uh, all these types of performances, which is why I get on, you know, on camera every Monday morning and try to do this for y'all. But one of the other things that I uh, bookmarked this Monday morning, which was pretty funny from Josh Norris, I have a feeling that Anthony Richardson is most comfortable throwing to his right side. If you look at NFL next gen stats, these are, uh, you know, this would be where a rich is. These are all his throws to the right side. These are all his throws to the left side. Not very many of them. I think a lot of them are probably not pre-designed plays to be thrown to the right side but a lot of the time Anthony Richardson as the athlete he is finds himself rolling out that way and if you're going to roll out to your right because you're a righty because you throw that way you're probably not throwing over this way okay so um 
interesting little graph here. I will say Anthony Richardson's like the very large majority of his throws were right around the line of scrimmage. His average depth of throw was super, super low in this one as well. So it's not like, you know, I, I don't think there's a ton to take away. I will say he got the shit kicked out of him. This dude was 10 carries, 40 yards, did get in the end zone on a goal line run, which is good, but he is going to lose a kneecap or he is going to wake up looking like a fucking zebra brother. He is going to have so many bruises this morning. He needs to protect himself a little bit. He needs to relax. Okay. If he wants to survive the entire season. Other than that though, like, listen, he's a guy who's going to continually get better as the years go by. He'll have good days like this. He'll have days where it isn't this good fancy wise. He won't throw touchdowns some games. So if you have him, I still think you're looking at like a borderline QB, you know, 14, 15 ish type player, even with the rushing upside. I think we had him ranked at like QB 14, 15 going into the year. That is probably where I'll continue to uh, continue to rank him just because his supporting cast is really shitty too. like Deion Jackson might be the worst running back in the NFL, but they'll continue to give him carries. Evan Hole got hurt in this one. He came out with a knee injury. I'm not sure how serious it is, uh, which left Jake Funk as the next running back in there. So uh, running backs in Indy, Zach Moss, I think should be back next week and they play Houston. So he'll get the bulk of carries, but has there ever been a, a more obvious game game line than like Zach Moss goes, 12 for 47, zero touchdowns, two catches for 11 yards the next week against Houston. I'd almost put my life savings on it. I put everything I've ever loved, known, and cared for that that's what Zach Moss's line is going to be next week. Deion Jackson's bad. He's he's, he's genuinely bad at football at, at the NFL level. On the other side of things, um, receiving-wise, Michael Pittman, eight for 97 and a touchdown. I also want to say Michael Pittman had one catch in the first half. Uh, most of his work was also done around the line of scrimmage. Like his 39-yard touchdown catch and run was just that. It was a screen pass around the line of scrimmage. Great play, great play. You love to see that he can kind of like break break free still. He's a good athlete. He's a dude who tested well, and he's got that in his bag. But I don't really know. I mean, the, the target percentage, the target share, 11 targets on 37 pass attempts, great to see, of course. And he's, he's the one there. Um, good to see Josh Downs with seven targets as well in the slot. Three catches, 30 yards, you know, on a weekly play. I don't know how high his floor really is, but Pittman getting that many targets feels pretty good. He's a possession guy, and that's kind of what I was saying all summer, where it's like I, I didn't want to click the button on him just because the big plays feel like they never really go his way. But if he's going to make seven guys miss at the line of scrimmage and, and rip off a 40-yard run, cool. I still think, like, I'm not getting overly excited about Michael Pittman after this play. He's not a wide receiver one for me. I think rankings-wise, he'll probably still be in that, like, wide receiver 25-ish to 30 range on a weekly basis just because, like, how much can you trust the A-rich passing game? And then in terms of running backs with Jonathan Taylor, um, this was the video I made a few weeks ago. After he went on the pup list, everybody was like, oh, there it is. He's not getting traded. And then there was a report like two days ago. In that video, I was saying, like, he could still very much get traded to Miami. In the video two days ago, um, or the report two days ago said that, like, He's about to pass his physical, and then the trades are probably going to open. The trade talks are probably going to open back up. So, one of two things needs to happen: Jonathan Taylor he needs, he needs to be moved quickly, or they need to get that deal done because a Rich could really fucking use a running back that could take some pressure off him. Holy shit, could he use a guy like Jonathan Taylor in that backfield right now? Regardless, he's obviously still got to miss the first four weeks of the season, but. I don't even know, like Miami, every every report you hear is like, oh, they wanted Jalen Waddell from Miami. They wanted Christian Watson from Green Bay. At this point, it's like, all right, 
they're not getting anybody worthwhile. Maybe he goes to Baltimore now with J.K. Dobbins out, but the only player that they might give up is Rashad Bateman, and even then, the wide receiver running back switch feels weird. But I could, I that's something I could actually see. I I don't think it'll happen, but that kind of trade makes sense because of the value of the position. Bateman for Jonathan Taylor, and when we talk about the Baltimore game, Bateman's actually running the third most routes by far out of OBJ, Bateman, and Zay Flowers. So it kind of feels like they're phasing him out of the offense. So if you can get some value for a dude like him who you're not really going to utilize, even though OBJ is absolutely fucking toast, um, that that could make sense. But I, I still think he ends up either in Indy signing the deal or Miami when all is said and done. Buccaneers, Minnesota. Oh, my God, this game. Listen, it, it was cool. Baker, it was cool. It was nice to see him have some heart and, like, fight through this game, his cute little 5.1 yards per attempt. But let's not, act, let's not act like Kirk Cousins and this team just continuously turn the ball over 17 times in the first quarter. This, this, this game's not close. This game's a 30-10 to 10 game. If uh, if they weren't careless with the ball, let's let's just put it that way. So Baker, uh, he, he was someone that I was like cool with drafting as your QB three late in best ball drafts. He's not startable despite this performance. Rashad White was God fucking awful. I just think this offense is a dumpster fire. Um, Evans and Godwin both kind of came away with decent games. Evans obviously caught the touchdown six for 66 and a tugger 10 targets on 34 attempts. I think these two will kind of just like flip back and forth on these types of stats. I think it'll be six for 60, five for 50. This guy scored a touchdown this week. This guy scored a touchdown that week. I'll be honest, I was a little disappointed with Chris Godwin. I was expecting a, a bigger day out of him or just like a bigger start to the season in, in general. He was someone that I continuously got like higher and higher on as the summer went by. Two years removed from the ACL. He's obviously clearly healthy, but um, j there's just not a lot of enticing stuff in this offense. Rashad White was... I think Hayden Winks from Underdog um, went back and looked and said whatever his uh, expected yards per carry or his rushing yards over expectation was the fourth lowest of like the last four years. Like this was one of the worst rushing games of all time by a fucking running back 17 for 39 on the ground. Sean Tucker five for 15. They're just, they're just not guys you really want to start anywhere. And Minnesota Vikings defense is just not, they're not great, you know, so you'd expect more from the passing game. You'd expect them to move the ball a little bit more, but it was just not great all around. I think, I mean, Rashad White's still the guy. Like, you're going to tell me Rashad White had 19 touches. I feel relatively good about it because he's an explosive guy and he can make big plays from time to time. But, like, oh, God, he he is he, he's, he's more of a flex play. He's more of a guy that, like, if you're in a standard league, he's absolutely not a start. Half PPR, you feel a little bit better. When you get into full PPR, then I'm like, okay, Rashad White can be a little bit of a player here for me. But Rashad White, I can't really imagine putting him inside my top, you know, 20, 24 running backs going forward on a weekly basis. Minnesota, Kirk put up numbers. Justin Jefferson put up numbers. Jordan Addison scored on a 40-yard touchdown, which was just broken coverage. So I don't want to, like, you know, anoint him the next fucking coming of Justin Jefferson. But obviously, you know, six targets got into the end zone, so also don't want to take that away from him. Kirk attempting 44 pass attempts, that's pretty big. They got nothing going in the ground game, which was nice to see after I was a big Ty Chandler guy. Madison, 11 for 34. He did get in via a, a touchdown catch, like near the goal line, but definitely not really what you wanted to see out of Alexander Madison in week one. Like, does his team have enough volume to give their running game? I think their defense is bad enough, and they're, I, they're just, like, not a good enough team to really, like, sustain – drives and have the Dalvin Cook of old type numbers here like Jefferson with the quietest nine for 150 game possibly of all time feel like there was never highlights of him and all of a sudden you look and he's like at like 125 yards at halftime you know 101 in every draft this year showed out for you if, if you took him there
So Addison, for me going forward, is still uh, a, a flex play. TJ Hawkinson, 8 for 35, I guess. You know, look, what more can you ask for at the fucking tight end position this week? Madison, yeah, I mean, it, listen, Tampa Bay is a tough run defense. They have been for quite a while. Um, so I, I don't want to say that, you know, this is like the end-all be-all for Alexander Madison because they'll have brighter days ahead. They play Philly next week, which is tough. But they do get the Chargers and the Panthers, uh, which are two, and the Chiefs and the Bears. Okay, well, after the Eagles, maybe Madison's a buy-low candidate. Maybe after they play the Eagles at Philadelphia, prime time, Madison struggles, and then you could buy him because then he's got the Chargers, the Panthers, the Chiefs, the Bears. All right, maybe he makes it into the trade target video on Wednesday. And make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're new here if you want to see the trade target videos. Um, but yeah, Madison... Uh, didn't didn't look great, but again, Tampa Bay tough run D. Titans versus Saints. Oh my God, this is just. Ugh, ugh, I don't want to waste my breath on this. I don't want to waste my my being, my energy, my soul. Ryan Tannehill looks so bad. Looks so bad. Uh, one of the weirdest fucking things of all time. This running back like split here. I don't know if y'all did probably didn't watch the game, and y'all probably haven't dove into the numbers. Tajay Spears started at running back for Tennessee, and I, I want to say he outsnapped Derrick Henry like 34 to 30. I don't really know what that's about. A and he didn't get the touches. He got four targets, had one catch for one yard, three carries for 27 yards. Looks good. Like, he looks like the clear handcuff and the clear guy behind Derrick Henry. I'm not really sure, like, what the game plan here was. I mean, Derrick Henry still ate 15 for 63, but had a few big plays in the passing game which is nice they got him involved in the screen game three targets two catches 56 yards he's already on pace to like he basically just set his fucking career highs for a season right there with two catches 56 yards i actually took his over prop one of the underdog season long props um was set at 0.5 receiving touchdowns i mean how am i not going to hit the over on that you know what i'm saying i thought he had it yesterday didn't have it turns out um but yeah i mean i don't know no real takeaway from the ground game it's Derek henry it is what he is saints have a pretty good defense D-Hop, 13 targets on 34 Ryan Tannehill pass attempts. Again, can't do the numbers off the top of my head, but that's damn near 40% target share. Um, ended up with just seven catches for 65 yards, 9.3 yards per reception. And that kind of feels like what we expected, right? Like, I, I wasn't drafting D-Hop in the fourth round. I expected him to be a possession guy. I, I don't really expect Ryan Tannehill to have 34 pass attempts and Derrick Henry to have 15 carries in a game. I think for the most part, those will probably meet in between where Henry and Taji Spears probably combine for instead of 18 carries, they probably have 25 carries and those pass attempts from Tannehill go down from 34 to 27, 28 and D hops targets go down from 13 to like nine or 10. When you do that, you're looking at a much shittier day. I think in, in PPR D hop will be fine because he gets so much volume, but he's not going to have games that are like more explosive than 13 targets. You know, a lot of the times they're probably just going to try to run the ball over and over and over and over again. Um, so good to see him get that type of volume. But like, I'm going to be honest, if people want to buy D hop and I have him on my team, he's a sell high guy for me, for sure. Uh, disappointing opening day for Traylon Burks, obviously coming back from the injury. So maybe that hampered him a little bit, but three targets, two catches, 18 yards was hoping to see a little bit more explosion. Chiggy, two targets. No catches. Tannehill missed him on a wide-open fucking touchdown down, down the sideline. Would have been like a 60-yard touchdown. Just overthrew the shit out of him. Either way, though, even if it connected on that, the usage, not great. Only two targets. He did run a lot of routes. I want to say he played on like 80% of the snaps in this one. So that's obviously good. But, again, with, without like real volume here, 
it, it's hard to trust anybody in the passing game outside of D Hop. On the flip side of things, Derek Carr was airing the goddamn ball out over 300 yards. Uh, Chris Olave did his thing, 10 catches or 10 targets, eight catches, 112 yards. Rashid Shahid was really uh, a nice little pleasant surprise there, getting shots downfield. I also want to say, though, like this is one of those week one things where people will get overly excited about without like thinking about things within context. The Tennessee Titans' pass defense is atrocious. They were awful last year, letting up big plays, letting up deep passes. Like that's what they did. That was that was their identity. It was like, yeah, the offensive side of the ball, we run it with Derrick Henry. The defensive side of the ball, we just let up huge fucking plays. That that the Tennessee Titans' run defense is great. Pass defense is miserable. So Jamal Williams. Um, Disappointing was not a surprise whatsoever. Did get almost all of the work here. Alvin Kamara cannot come back soon enough. <laughs> Chris Olave, yes. Rashid Jaheed, again, I want to see him do something usable in fantasy when not against the Tennessee Titans type team. Who they play next? They play the Panthers, uh, Packers, Bucks. All right, so there's there's some real defenses within the next month of the season. So if he continues to hit, cool. We could use him as a flex play. For now, I'm still extremely hesitant. Michael Thomas, 5 for 61 on 8 targets. He was cool. He was used as a possession guy. He's very clearly behind Chris Olave in the pecking order. And he's had big week ones before in the last couple of years. So hesitantly feeling good about Michael Thomas if I took him in the 10th-ish round or so. 49ers Pittsburgh. My God. All right. Here, here's here's um, one of the things I want to talk about regarding the Pittsburgh Steelers and probably a mistake that most of us make, but it's something I, I preach a lot. Like a lot of you guys watch my preseason recaps or write-ups, right? Like every Monday after the weekend of the preseason happens, I'll do a, a, a video similar to this where I take away the biggest, you know, snap counts, route run, that kind of shit from the preseason games. One of the things I always tell y'all is like the usage of, in the preseason with the first team players is the is pretty much the only important thing to take away. Stats, production, and biasly seeing how a player or a team looks is is just that. It's bias. Because here, here's the thing. Like the, the Steelers are a perfect, perfect example of this, right? Where we watched every Steelers game throughout the preseason. And in terms of usage. We came away from the game saying, whoa, Jalen Warren and Najee Harris are in pretty much a damn near identical split 50-50, right? They're splitting work early downs. Jalen Warren's in the two and four minute drills. We'll see what happens on the goal line. Allen Robinson is playing all the snaps from the slot. He is the clear wide receiver three playing with the starters. Usage is so important in preseason. It tells you who's going to be playing with the starters. It does not mean any of those players are going to be good. When you see players do things in the preseason and you anoint them kings like we did with Kenny Pickett, myself included, what we what we love to do is feel like we narrow down the usage so that as, as humans, we like to be we need to feel like we're in control of shit. We need things to be organized. We need that's why everything needs to be labeled all the time as humans. Once we label things, we want to do it more. We say, all right, we know exactly who the starters are. We know who's running routes. We know who's going to have production in this offense. The problem with this is. We got overly excited about Kenny Pickett because he connected on three deep passes, right? I think it was literally that. Like, three deep passes, three touchdowns. It looked great, but a sample size of three fucking passes, two of which came against the Atlanta Falcons' second and third string defensive players, is where we made this mistake. So I will try to echo this 
throughout every preseason week next next summer, and this is something I usually am, am pretty good with. This was probably a slip-up on my part. Stats and production do not fucking matter in the preseason, but usage is almost always super telling going into week one and week two. And it doesn't always hold up for the course of the season, but Pittsburgh is a perfect example. We got overly excited about the Pittsburgh Steelers because of a couple deep passes that Kenny Pickett connected on, but we knew what the usage was going to be. We were told that Najee Harris was not going to be good. But let's 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 actually get to this game now that we've gone through that fucking lesson. Pickett, brighter days ahead. San Francisco 49ers defense is fucking incredible. Okay. So the Najee Harris six for thirty-one game. Uh yeah, Najee Harris was terrible. If he was in your fantasy lineup, he busted completely. This was so obvious, though. Like there was just no chance he was going to run successfully against the Niners defense. He had the big run of 24 yards. You take that out, he's, what, five for fucking seven on the ground and then two yards through the air. But Najee going against the Niners defense, he never stood a chance. Najee, six carries. Jalen Warren, three carries. Jalen Warren, six targets. Najee, two targets. Like, this is not this type of game script, if Pittsburgh is trailing, it's going to end up being the Jalen Warren show. Two and four-minute drills. Like, this is what we knew all offseason. That being said, though, when Steelers are up, Najee's going to have big games. Najee's going to have bigger games than this. This was overly predictable that he was going to struggle this week. In so many of my like sit-star questions that I got on Sunday morning, Najee was always on, on the short end of the stick. We were not putting him in our lineup. So this is not anything we need to overreact to. This is something that we pretty much knew and so- should have seen coming. The other side of the things, <clears throat> receiving-wise, a few takeaways. George Pickens... Again, he is like another perfect example of seeing select few plays and then just pushing your own narrative on him. George Pickens has done very little in the NFL to actually show you that he can operate as a alpha outside of making inconsistent big plays. You know how many fucking incredible athletes the NFL has? Every one of them. Every single one of them could put together a highlight tape like you've never seen before from high school and college and probably even in the pros and in practice in the pros and in training camp. They they can all put together the sickest highlight tape you've ever seen. George Pickens does it in the games more often than not, but consistency fucking matters as a receiver, being able to separate. Sure, he made one of the sickest fucking catches I've ever seen in this game. It was out of bounds, so you won't see it on the box score, and I don't even know if they're going to replay it on SportsCenter. One of, the, one of the catches he made in this game out of bounds was fucking incredible. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He has so much trouble operating as a real alpha on the outside. He cannot separate like Deontay Johnson can. Problem is, Deontay Johnson left the game with a hamstring injury, and it seems relatively serious. I, if I had to put money on it, he's probably going to miss this upcoming week, and I think he'll be 50-50 for the weeks following that. So I think Deontay Johnson misses time. Allen Robinson stepped in as the leading receiver outside of Deontay Johnson. Eight targets, led the team. 64 yards, led the team. Five catches, only trailing Calvin Austin. So it looks like Robinson's going to be a full-time player if Deontay Johnson misses time. Pat Frymuth also also left with a chest injury, uh, which is kind of serious, kind of not serious. He very well might suit up. But if he doesn't, I expect Allen Robinson to continue to get a lot of volume. I do expect him to probably move to the outside while they let Calvin Austin, who's a much uh, smaller player, kind of run the slot there. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of murky behind Deontay Johnson. They play the Browns who have a much improved defense, but then they get the Raiders, the Texans, uh, who you could definitely throw the ball against and have success against. So for right now, like Najee is a low end RB two Warren. I I don't know if I could really put him in unless it's like a super plus matchup. Robinson's going to be a flex play, especially in PPR league. Calvin Austin, I think you're getting a little bit too cute if he's in your lineup. George Pickens, like, here's the thing, like Pickens and Allen Robinson. I really don't think they should be ranked very far apart. 
I know in best ball leagues, Allen Robinson was like literally a 17th, 18th round pick. George Pickens was a sixth or seventh round pick, if not like fifth round pick by the time the summer wrapped up because he made a couple big plays. That's what he does. He makes big plays sometimes when the ball's thrown to him, but he's not a separator. So next week, when we drop our rankings, don't be surprised if Deontay Johnson's out, if Allen Robinson is wide receiver 35 and Pickens is wide receiver 34 or 37 even behind him. Okay, so let's just let's just buckle down. On the flip side of things, Brock Purdy does what Brock Purdy does and just continues to be the GOAT. C-Mac, I mean, if you drafted him in the first round, congrats. 22 for 152. He looked, God, he looked fucking good. He looked prime. He looked peak. He looked like he's a league goddamn winner right now. Um, C-Mac looked awesome. Didn't split time with Elijah Mitchell whatsoever. Brandon Ayuk looked like the next fucking coming. Oh, my God. Can't say that last word in that statement strongly enough. Ayuk was a dude we were all in on this summer. I drafted him in so many fucking best ball leagues. Drafted him in a dynasty startup we just had. This man is so good. This man is one of the best separators in the NFL. Eight for 129, two touchdowns. Man, if you drafted Brandon Ayuk, you got yourself a fucking stud. He's a clear he's a clear alpha there, man. And I was saying that like throughout the summer, man. It's kind of fun growing this brand a little bit because as, as I've grown the brand, like I've also been able to grow my network. And with, with the growing network, man, like... I get I get more plugs, you know. I get more sources. I get more uh, I get more a lot of things, and a lot of them are connected to sports. And one of the plugs I got was with the 49ers. Actually, this didn't even really have to do with me being in sports media or anything, but it was someone who is connected with the 49ers. And guys in the locker room at 49 at 49erville were pretty much like, yeah, you know, all summer long. We're like, Ayuk's the guy. Ayuk is our one. Ayuk is like, is is him? You know what I mean? Like out of the receivers. Debo's cool and he's electric, but Ayuk is he's something else. He he's at a different level as a as a route runner and a separator. And the whole locker room knew it. And this is why I think Brock Purdy, because they all know that about Brock Purdy too. They're all rallying behind Brock Purdy and have been for quite a while. They're rallying behind both guys, and it's why I think both of them are gonna have a really good connection all all season long. So Ayuk, man, just just ride that shit. He is not a sell high. He is a he is a ride high. He is a ride to the goddamn championship. Well, so we got, I also think Brock Purdy is like a pickup and someone that you could probably like start in, in like 12 team leagues somewhat, somewhat soon. Who do they got? They got the Rams next week. They got the Giants, the Cardinals. Cowboys are like a defense. I don't know if you want to start anybody against, but I think the next couple of weeks you could, you could stop, start Brock Purdy, man. His rushing line yesterday was at four and a half. We smacked the shit out of that. We, Don't you ever fucking give me a four and a half Brock Purdy rushing line underdog. Don't you ever. Oh, Brock Purdy, I, I, I would legitimately pick up and, and I mean, just look at the goddamn weapons on this list. C-Mac, Elijah Mitchell, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. Like, what are we talking about? What are we talking about, people? You know what else we're not talking about right now that I should be talking about? How there's almost 2,000 people watching me live on television right now, screaming, and only 192 thumbs up? That's a 10% rate? People, if you're watching, hit hit the button that looks like this, please. Let YouTube know that I'm a piece of shit. Let's move on to the next game. Cardinals versus Washington. Oh, my God. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you guys. 
can I, can I apologize for Michael Wilson? I love Michael Wilson as a talent, but I guess like there's just there's just I'm gonna take a win on the Cardinals. While I've been pumping Michael Wilson, like if you took him, he was a 15th round pick, and I still believe in the dude as a talent for sure. But what's more important was the fact that I was telling you just avoid Cardinals players in the single digit rounds. James Conner, sure, he acted like a workhorse. He acted like a dude who got fucking 20 touches and got 70 yards. That's what he's going to be every week. He's a workhorse that can't get above 75 goddamn yards. Connor Marquise Brown was basically a wasted pick, too. People were taking him in, like, the sixth round. Like, what are we doing? It was like Marquise Brown or Deontay Johnson. Who do we want? Brother. Um, yeah, it was gross. The, the only real takeaway, to be honest with you, is Zach Ertz. Ten fucking targets, a 33% target share, ran 90% of the routes, six six catches. I mean, it's bad. Six for 21. Like, there's nothing there. 3.5 yards per catch. But in this tight end economy, you can't afford not to look at him. Trey McBride is just, what are they doing? He was the first tight end drafted in the draft class last year, two years ago, whenever he was drafted. And now we're, we're just shoving Zach Ertz into 10 targets, like eight months removed from a full ACL tear. Josh Dobbs is so bad. This offense is so bad. Everything about Arizona is just, it's so depressing. Thank God they have good weather. Otherwise, those the rates of, you know what, just would be something else. No, nobody in that offense is, is start. James Conner is like a flex play, I guess. Imagine being in a, a a flex play, I guess, getting twenty five touches a game. That is fucking out of control, dude. Uh, on the flip side, we got we got some things to take away from Washington. One, Sam Howell did not look good. He's another one of those like preseason guys where looked good in the preseason, but. The biggest takeaways were the were the usage things, right? Were the usage of like Brian Robinson versus Antonio Gibson. Brian Robinson, twenty touches. Antonio Gibson, three carries. Nineteen for fifty nine on the ground. Now listen, this this entire team like could not move the ball. So yes, Brian Robinson only averaged three point one yards per carry, but it was still more than Antonio Gibson, and he still got valuable work. He still got twenty touches. Caught the ball on the goal line. Got in for a score through the receiving game, which is good to see. And also out targeted Gibson two to one. So two to one clip there. So Robinson, like he was just rolling. He was literally like a fucking roly poly. Uh, what's those dudes' names? The fucking Teletubbies. Yeah, those motherfuckers like wrapped up in spaghetti, just rolling down the mountain type shit. wasn't great. wasn't great. But I think we see what the split is here, and there are better days ahead. So B Rob can definitely be using a flex play going forward. Curtis Samuel, Logan. I think the other like we got two tight end pickups in this game. Logan Thomas was. Really good for Washington a couple of years ago. And then he kept suffering injuries. And he's, I, th- I think, also coming back from an ACL tear. But eight targets in this one. That's like a 26, 27% target share. Four for 43. He was really good when he was healthy a couple of years ago. So he's another name absolutely to keep an eye on on the waiver wire if you're in a deeper league and need a tight end pickup. Logan Thomas, man. Um, Dotson, disappointing game, unfortunately. But that was kind of the entire passing game. Had seven targets, five for 40. So like a decent PPR play, I guess. Terry, I'm telling you, Terry's still ailing. I, I told everyone to kind of just sit Terry in every sit-star question I had, but he, the turf toe is still a thing for him, man. The turf toe is going to bother him probably for the next couple of weeks. So he'll he'll slowly move up as he recovers more and more from it. It's probably like a three- to four-week injury. This week, I want nothing to do with him. Next week, I mean, he'll probably get into that like wide receiver four-ish range and then maybe wide receiver three the next week and then maybe back to like normal Terry uh, two, three weeks from now. But just, just understand, <coughs> understand that even if he was full practice this whole week, turf toe was still there. Houston, uh, this was disappointing for Damian Pierce, man. 
When the fuck did Mike Boone join the Texans? When did Mike Boone get signed by fucking Houston, man? Why was he playing all the third downs? Why was he in all passing situations? What the hell? I don't know where he came from, bro. Damian Pierce didn't look great. 11 for 38 on the ground. A long of seven yards. Still outproduced Devin Singletary by a lot, but that's not really saying much. Pierce didn't get used much in the passing game. Just two for nine. So this this team is just a whole lot of shit again. They are banged up on the offensive line, and like you're asking C.J. Stroud to do a lot with these types of weapons. Nico Collins looked good, six for 80. Uh, Robert Woods was a guy that I had a lot of shares of in best ball just because I feel like he's going to run every route. Did, did decent. Um, and you can expect this type of game script, I think, for a lot of Houston games. So maybe they just have enough passing volume where C.J. Stroud had 44 pass attempts. They play the Colts next week. I honestly, that, that game might be – that game, I don't know if they're going to crack 35 points in that game. The Jags, the Steelers, the Falcons. Yeah, actually, none of these, none of these are really going to be like super, super catch-up games in my opinion. I think um, – I think the rush defense for Houston is actually kind of like super underrated and it's going to make teams like try to run against them, but not successfully and just like slug games out where Houston's kind of like a team to avoid, to be honest, man. Maybe you play the running backs because they'll score touchdowns on the goal line, but I don't know if there's going to be a ton of production against Houston just because their offense is like sluggish and their defense is like a little bit underrated, but keep it keeps the other team sluggish as well. You know what I'm saying? So. Nico Collins, 11 targets is good, 6 for 80. I just don't expect CJ Stroud to have 44 pass attempts a game. So uh, Damian Pierce, you know, if we're worried about him, yeah, again, it's week one, so I don't want to, like, overreact. But he's probably – I had him, like, RB12 or 13 in my rankings going into the year. Definitely going to move him down a bit, probably to that, like, RB18, 19, 20-ish range going forward. I just still think he's got all the talent in the world. I just feel like this team has just proven to be worse than I had hoped for. Baltimore, oh. There's never been a more demoralizing 25-9 to win in the history of the NFL. There's never been a 16-point win where you come away like, holy shit, we got worse as a team. One, I mean, obviously, top of the notepad is J.K. Dobbins. Tears his ACL a couple years ago. Tears his Achilles yesterday. He's he's probably toast, man. It's it's unfortunate. One One of the best recruits in the country. Dominates at Ohio State. High draft pick, stellar rookie year. Hate to see it, man. Hate to see it. He's out, and we got to move on with our lives. We've got to move on with our lives. And here's the way I see the backfield shaking up. So it's between Justice Hill and Gus Edwards, of course. They're going to call up Melvin Gordon from the practice squad. I think they might have done that already. So it'll probably be some sort of committee between them three. I want Justice Hill more than I want Gus Edwards. I've been very vocal about this all offseason. These were – I want to I bring up a tweet that I had. Uh, let's see. Zay Jones is this year's Zay Jones. God damn it, I am sharp. I don't usually make blanket statements like this, but if you draft Cooper Cup inside the first three rounds of a draft at this point, you're just bad at fantasy football. I'm a beast. Tua, oh, my God. Look at – God, I'm sharp. God, I'm sharp. Oh, actually, hold on. One more thing I do want to plug. So um, – on both TikTok and our other YouTube channel. So if you're not subscribed, we also do like a trivia YouTube channel that is like highly fucking addicting. And I think a lot of you guys will like. We have an NFL uh, trivia channel. And one of the pieces of content that we put up on that channel as well as on TikTok is the guys in the office. We all fill out a slip like this every single week. Um, I will I will link that other channel down below in the YouTube uh, description after this video too. So after this is done, 
wait like two minutes, refresh, and you could find it, or just type in BDG NFL trivia on. Actually, what the fuck am I doing? I'll just show you. Right here. You'll see it at the top. So we do a bunch of like games and stuff. We put our vlogs out on this channel as well. But it's doing really, really well, which is uh, which is fun. But one of the one of the things we do is is this slip each week now, and the loser punishment, right? So basically, you fill out the slip, and then you get points based on it. We're gonna do it for the entire year and keep track of the entire year. Um, fucking nailed Aaron Jones. He's the number one fantasy scorer of the week. Tyreek Hill absolutely fucking nailed it too. Um, loser punishment. So there's four guys participating in this. The two winners are going to be able to send the two losers anywhere in the continental United States, and they're not going to be able to come home until they complete three challenges. They don't know where they're going. They won't know. We'll give them the ticket once they get to the airport. It's going to be fucking electric. So make sure you are tuned in on both TikTok and the other trivia channel. Where else was I going with this, though? I had something to show you all. Um, If you ever want to see a specific like thing someone tweeted out, just type in the keyword and then from colon the person's nickname or uh, username. Okay. So this is a tweet I posted early in the offseason. This is like June. Okay. So early June. Guys that will make people on Twitter lose their mind if they were to get cut, but shouldn't. Damian Harris, Rashad Penny, James Robinson, Keyshawn Vaughn, any Jets running back not named Brees Hall, Gus Edwards. So kind of feels like that Grim Reaper meme. Like Damian Harris, we'll see how much work he gets tonight versus the Jets. Wouldn't be surprised if Latavius Murray ends up being like the early down back there. Rashad Penny, healthy fucking scratch this week. James Robinson was cut like a day after I tweeted this. Keyshawn Vaughn, did he even play? Did he even play yesterday? Is he even still on the team? I don't even know. Um, Gus Edwards would fit in there. I am under the impression that Gus Edwards is (coughs) toast. And if they didn't guarantee him a bunch of money, they probably would have cut him. He was the running back two coming in for Baltimore Throughout the entire preseason, or the running back three, sorry, I should say, <coughs> behind Justice Hill. It was Dobbins, then Hill. Dobbins, then Hill. Dobbins, then Hill. Gus Edwards got run in like the third, fourth quarter of the games. Gus Edwards came in in this one after Justice Hill. Justice Hill got both of the goal line carries in the first half. Gus Edwards got a lot of run in the fourth quarter when they were up by a lot of points. Will it be a committee? Yeah, because these two bring extremely different skill sets. Problem with Gus Edwards is everyone continues to think of Gus Edwards as like 24, 25, 26-year-old Gus Edwards, 5.0 yards per, 5.0 yards per carry Gus Edwards, where every, first of all, every running back in the Baltimore backfield, 30-year-old Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, it didn't matter who you were, you were averaging 5 yards per carry. Gus Edwards was doing that when he was young. He is now an ACL tear later and also 28 and a half years old. He also has a total of 95 carries since the 2020 season. I want, I want you to hear that again. Gus Edwards has a total of 95 carries since the 2020 season. Gus Edwards is not the same player that he was. I am of the belief that Gus Edwards is toast, where Justice Hill provides a lot of speed for this offense. Will Gus Edwards be used in short yardage situations? Maybe, but we also just saw Justice Hill monopolize the goal line carries. So someone's going to get work here. Someone's going to get a lot of work here. I would much rather have Justice Hill than Gus Edwards. I'll, I'll gladly put that on record, despite Justice Hill playing terribly yesterday. Again, I, I think the Houston run defense is very underrated. So that's something to keep an eye out for to see if teams can actually run against these guys. But Justice Hill gets in twice. Uh, I think Justice Hill is a better pass catcher. Gus Edwards does not catch passes whatsoever. 
<clears throat> the other thing here, one, Zay Flowers was fucking incredible yesterday. Dude got 10 targets. No other wide receiver had more than three. 10 out of 22. 10 targets out of 22 pass attempts. And this was something we brought up in, in one of the podcasts we did last week, too. I was like, man, has anyone maybe considered the fact that, like, Todd Munkin maybe just isn't the GOAT? This was prior to this week's game. There was, I don't think we heard one negative report out of Baltimore the entire offseason. There was just, like, Todd Munkin could do no wrong. We're acting like this guy has a flawless track record in the NFL, right? We're acting like this guy came in and just dominated every stop of the way. Yeah, he did it at Georgia, where Georgia gets to recruit the top, top. It's like if you take the all-pro team in the NFL and you got to play against the Houston Texans every week. Do you think the coach would look good? Yeah, he'd probably look pretty fucking good. There's a chance that Todd Munkin's system and what he's doing is just not that good. There's also that chance. You have to leave that door open. Now it's week one, so again, I don't want to overreact because they are without Mark Andrews as well. A couple other injuries in this game that happened. Ronnie Stanley, their tackle, hurt. Tyler Lindebaum, their center, also hurt. So keep an eye on uh, reports out of those guys. Let's, let's actually see if we have anything updated. Injury updates from Ravens. Oh, one minute ago. Let's go. Ronnie Stanley, knee sprain will be week to week. Diagnosed with sprained ankle week to week. All right, so what do we got here? Either way, he's week to week, which is not great. Uh, Tyler Lindebaum, ankle sprain, also week to week, which is not great. Uh, So they might be very, very significantly down on their offensive linemen, okay? That could be a problem. That could be another reason why you don't want to play the Baltimore running backs altogether. You guys decide. Um, but, yeah, that, that's kind of the way I'm looking at this receiving group. Like, you could start Zay Flowers for sure. I've been completely off OBJ. I don't think really anyone's been too on Rashad Bateman anyways to begin with. So when Mark Andrews is back, you are you could start Zay Flowers. You could start Mark Andrews, and that's probably about it. Justice Hill, for me, will be ranked inside my top 36 running backs for sure. So I think he's definitely uh, flex-worthy. But we'll kind of take that week by week and see what we get there. Green Bay, Chicago. All right, this is probably my biggest apology tour I need to make. I've never been more on someone than Justin Fields all summer. What did he end up with fantasy-wise anyways? What did he end up with for fantasy points? You know what's beautiful? There's like literally nothing. There's not a better feeling in the world than just beating the shit out of sexy. Beating the shit out of sexy pats. In any sort of league. There's just nothing that makes me smile more. Anyways. Sorry, sexy. That felt personal, huh? Because it fucking was. Um, did we get? Oh, you have to do it on the app, don't you? Oh wait, you could probably just search his name though. What is this? What are we doing here? Fields. All right, so Fields still had like seventeen and a half fantasy points despite a terrible showing. I guess that's kind of a positive outlook. Here's the other thing, though. Like, we we really liked Green Bay all summer, and I think they are showing that they're going to be legit. Green Bay, they were down Christian Watson. They had Aaron Jones left with a hamstring injury after just a phenomenal day. This was another thing that I, I thought was relatively obvious. He was, like, uh, around the four or five turn in every best ball draft I was trying to get Aaron Jones. They bubble-wrapped this dude throughout the preseason. They, like, they put this man in for one snap per game, and then that was it. They're like, get his ass out. He's the best player we have on our offense. Barely played in the preseason. 
He would come in, catch one pass for like 13 yards, and get out. He looked so good yesterday, and it is very clear to me that their offense is going to run through him. A.J. Dillon looks so bad on the flip side. This is not I, – I genuinely think, like, throughout the summer, and this is what I was thinking, like, I don't think they look at them two as 1A, 1B anymore. I think it's like Aaron Jones, and then, like, Dillon just happens to be maybe the next guy up if he can hold that position. So Aaron Jones is going to have a monster year as long as he's not hurt. So right now he's dealing with a little bit of hamstring strain. He had it at the end of his long touchdown catch run. He kind of pulled up on it. But from everything I've heard, um, the fact that he was still on the sidelines, like stretching it, means it's probably minor. He says, quote-unquote, from him after the game, if they needed him for the rest of the game, he could have come back in and played. So that bears well for right now. I still, you know, the hamstring can kind of like tighten up at any point. So still, you know, something to be concerned about. But if you have him on your team, you are the least concerned because you have a nice RB1 for fantasy going forward. New gut thumbnail content dropped. What? Um... Receiving. Okay, so receiving. Christian Watson was obviously out. Um, can you guys see that? No, you can't. Okay, sorry. I'm getting text messages. It's distracting the shit out of me. Sexy, stop texting. Working here. Does anybody else work on a goddamn Monday? What else is Monday for? Um, okay, so Aaron Jones, GOAT, Jaden Reed, Romeo Dobbs, Luke Musgrave were the other leaders. And this was something that we took away from the preseason, of course, right? It was only those guys. It was Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Luke Musgrave. We know that. And that seems to be true here. Very obvious. Um, So Musgrave feels like he's going to be a nice little like high-end tight end too for the rest of the season. Jaden Reed left, but he left with cramps. So I'm not overly concerned. Romeo Dobbs did come into the game questionable with a hamstring strain. Uh, but he ended up scoring two touchdowns here. I think he was limited down the field. He's he's a guy that makes plays down the field, but they didn't really take any shots to him. But he seemed healthy. He seemed good to go. Uh, so Dobbs is someone that I'm very excited about. I have a lot of shares of Dobbs. Christian Watson, I think he's a, a buy-low candidate if you can get him from somebody who you know is sick and tired of waiting for this dude who's sitting out for one week, maybe two. Uh, I would put him at like 50-50 to play next week. Here's the thing with Green Bay, though. I'm not overly bought into their passing game yet. But as soon as they are full speed ahead, they're going to be really good. Like when Watson is fully healthy, assuming Jones is okay to go, I'm assuming Reed is just cramps, Musgrave and Dobbs, when they're all on the field together at the same time, this Green Bay offense is going to be very, very good. I think their defense is completely fucking underrated as well. I think they have a very, very good defense between Rashawn Gary and all, all dudes that they brought in throughout the offseason. Like they're they're going to be a very good defense and a tough one to really move the ball against. Um. So Jaden Reed's definitely a guy that I would be looking to pick up on the wire if Christian Watson misses time again, but Dobbs is obviously a stud there. Fields, cool. All right, so the backfield in Chicago, right? Justin Fields obviously was tough. It was, it was a tough scene out there. He was he was throwing bad balls. But the backfield was kind of a complete split between Herbert, Roshan Johnson, Deonta Foreman. They all got run. Uh, Roshan Johnson probably looked the best all around and got a ton of work, right? Five for 20, got the touchdown score. Six catches on seven targets for 35 yards, but almost all of that came in garbage time. The very, very large majority, I'm sure we could probably find some stats on it if we searched it. There's a good tweet by Hayden. What else is fucking new? All this guy does is put out good tweets. Percentage of week one touches in garbage time. Roshan Johnson, 92% of his touches. Elijah Mitchell, Jerome Ford should not really be that big of a surprise. I do think, though, like Roshan Johnson has been 
good every time he stepped onto the field. He's not someone that I was like overly optimistic about for fantasy. I think he's good on all three downs, which is, you know, a nice thing to have for a running back. But with Roshan Johnson, like he just continues to do the right thing every time he's on the field, which will eventually, I think, work into more and more of uh, a timeshare for him, if not completely overtaking Deonta Foreman. But for right now, very hard to trust any of these guys individually with how poor the offense played, how bad their offensive line looked. And I also want to say, like, their offensive line is in shambles right now. They came into the year, I think, missing like two, if not three, of their starters. So that's another thing to consider. Like, we were kind of hyped that they built more onto this offensive line. They're coming in completely banged up on the O line still. So we have not really seen this offense at full strength or fields protected by his offensive line at full strength. So I don't want to make any judgment calls. Again, it's week one, and Dustin Fields had a worse supporting cast last year and still finishes the QB5 in fantasy. So I'm not hitting the, the panic button on fields for fantasy right now. If I'm a Bears fan, I might I might be a little bit nervous. I might. Actually, I mean, you got you got a lot of draft picks next year, so you could always pivot at QB, but I'm just saying. Um, in the receiving game, yeah, DJ Moore, that was that was tough. He is probably going to be like a, a low-end wide receiver three, I think, until they get their shit together. And I don't know if I could start any of the running backs here. I probably won't throw any of these guys in my lineup. Raiders, Broncos, all right. Really, the only takeaway here is fucking Jacoby Myers, man. It took him four years in New England to score two touchdowns. He did it in two quarters. Nine for 81 and two touchdowns. I think we all just like severely <clears throat> underestimated Jacoby Myers. He was great in New England. And now he has no pressure of being the, the two there behind Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams sucks in just impossible coverage from Patrick Sertain, leaving Jacoby Myers to just run amok in the middle. And he did that, bro. Um... If Myers is available on your waiver wire because he was such a boring pick, I think a lot of people just didn't take him. He needs to be picked up ASAP. He did suffer concussion, which was kind of fucking terrifying. If you're watching TV, just looked at you like that. It was kind of wild. So half of me feels like he might be dead. We need to do a wellness check on him. The other half feels like I want to pick him up in all my leagues. Um, but Jacoby feels like he's going to be a really, really, really good target in this offense, and everything's going to go to Adams and Jacoby Myers. Denver. Ooh, 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 ooh. What to take away here? Uh, Javante played a lot, 13-4-52. <coughs> also saw six targets, but only had four catches for five yards. I need water bad, I think. I think I'm I think I'm dying. I think I have a concussion. Uh Samaji P. Ryan, it, 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 it was it was a clear split though. Javante had 17 touches. Samaje had 12 touches. Uh Samaje actually outgained him yardage wise. Didn't get to see much on the goal line, so we don't really know what's going to happen down there. Quentin Sutton saved his day with a touchdown. Uh, Russell Wilson w Russell Wilson definitely looked better, but, I mean, you just lost to the Raiders at home, so let's not, you know, it, it, it's tough to get super excited for this team. I wish we saw a little bit more running out of Russ because we saw it in the preseason. He looked great doing it, but didn't show any of those legs here. Greg Dolchich left with a leg injury, and it seems like he's going to miss time. So maybe Adam Troutman can be a player here. He had five targets, five catches, 34 yards, which tied for the team lead actually behind Javonta Williams. But all the, all those like victory laps taken about Marvin Mims on Twitter. Those guys must be really tired right now from taking them um, because they didn't work out well. Got a lot of exercise. So I commend you for that, I suppose. But Marvin Mims, two targets, two catches, nine yards, uh, just out caught by about 17 other players on the field. So very, very cool for you guys. Eagles-Pats, uh, this was just an ugly game all around. Nothing really to take away from the passing side of things. 
the running backs, man. The fucking running backs, dude. Kenneth Gainwell played on like 85% of the snaps. 14 carries, 54 yards. Four targets, 20 yards. Four catches. DeAndre Swift, a single carry. A single carry. A single catch. I really don't know what to tell you. My, my, um, my instinct is this. One, like, this is, this is like the problem with Kenneth Gainwell. You can give him 20 touches and he's going to give you 70 yards. He just like lacks so much. He's just like a good instinctual football player that is just not good for fantasy football at all. He just does so little with so much opportunity. <clears throat> the problem I think with this game here, here. So I'm not cutting DeAndre Swift. I'm not like getting rid of him or anything. I think this type of running back opportunity will switch on a week-to-week basis. I wouldn't even be surprised if Penny is active next week and gets 10 carries. What I think probably happened here was they don't trust Swift or Penny. They don't trust them in the weather that they had in New England yesterday, and they don't trust them against the New England Patriots, and probably not to pass protect. So this felt like let's get the guys on the field that we feel most comfortable with and that happens to be Kenneth Gainwell because he's been in our system for a, quite a few years. Uh, that's what this felt like. So I'm not making any stark decisions or um, I'm not making any stark like straight viewpoints on this backfield based on this game because this was just a shitty game all around for the Eagles offense. And it felt like with the bad weather and just like all this nonsense going on, we're going to give it to the guy that we trust the most. And like usual, Kenny Gainwell is going to do the least with that. So if you have him, if he's on the waiver wire, like, yeah, you're definitely trying to pick him up. You're definitely targeting him, and you definitely feel good about having him on the back of your bench. But again, like, he doesn't really score. He's probably not going to be utilized much on the goal line. And even in the passing game, he's such a good receiver, but it very rarely feels like he makes explosive plays ever on the ground, in the receiving game. He doesn't really do it. So he needs so much volume and probably things to break right on the goal line for him to be fantasy relevant. So even next week, I don't I don't feel good about putting him in my lineup whatsoever, even though he dominated backfield touches. Obviously, better days ahead from Brown and Devonta Smith. Uh, Dallas Goddard, yeah, I, I don't really know what to say there, but better days ahead for him as well. New England, man. New England. Mac Jones looked pretty good. 54 pass attempts is a shitload. Um He's like the QB3 on the week right now. Zeke and Ramondre, the split, man. Ramondre did save his day with a bunch of catches, so he caught all six of his targets for six catches, 64 yards. 12 for 25 on the ground. Zeke, 7 for 29. Involved early and often. And this was one of the things, I will say, even Zeke, Zeke had seven fucking targets, man. Seven targets, five catches, 14 yards. Really involved in the passing game. Obviously, again, a lot of that had to do with the fact that Mac Jones threw the ball 54 times. This was, I was really high on Ramondre most of the summer until, again, if you guys have watched all my videos, you 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 get to you get to hang around for the storylines that happen throughout the summer. I got reached out to one day. Again, this is, you know, going back to me getting a little bigger, getting more sources in the Rolodex. Someone that covers the Patriots reached out and said, yo, we're probably going to sign Zeke. At that point, I pulled back on Ramondre, right? He was in our draft guide. He was a, a must-draft guy. And then I heard that news, and I took him out. And then I stopped drafting him at the 211 and the 212 and the 31. Pulled him back. Same dude said to me a couple weeks ago after they had already signed Zeke, said, hey, you're going to be surprised by the amount that they use Zeke in the passing game. I said, damn, all right. Well, you're one for one on giving me the sources, man. So I am i don't really have a choice but to believe you. And it feels like he's right here, man. It feels like he's right, and it feels like we might 
be in a sticky situation with Ramondre. Uh, I, I think Ramondre is going to keep eating in the passing game. Like, I can't imagine they look at this game. Also, I think Ramondre outpass blocked Zeke like 8-1, to one, but Zeke is a surefire, reliable pass blocker. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets more involved in that game. Regardless, though, like, this is not the type of split you want to see for a dude that was just signed like two weeks ago. A dude coming off a 1,500-yard season is now splitting work almost 50-50 with a guy that was just signed two weeks ago. This is not a good a good thing for Ramondre Stevenson. He's talented enough to just have big games based on his talent alone, but like usage wise, hard to on games where he on games where he doesn't break big plays, on games where he doesn't have thirty and twenty five yard gains, the floor is pretty fucking low, um, and that that makes me a little bit nervous for Ramondre going forward in terms of his ceiling. Pass catching, Juju Smith Schuster was always one of the worst fucking picks of all time in fantasy. Um, so people that drafted him just make me absolutely sick. He, like, he like was, wasn't even playing after halftime. Kendrick Bourne looked great. This kind of feels like it happens once a year. Once a year, we get overly excited about Kendrick Bourne for no reason. But Devontae Parker was out in this one. Hunter Henry is also, like, top two tight end right now in fantasy. I kind of I feel like Hunter Henry might low-key be here-ish to stay. I think he's going to be a big red zone target. And, like, with Jonu Smith out, Hunter Henry's on a fat fucking deal still. One of the worst deals in the NFL, but he's going to run a lot of routes, I guess. I can just keep repeating that fucking line. Uh, Kendrick Bourne's a cool little uh, a cool little uh, waiver wire pickup, I think. There's always hype around him, man. No matter what team he's on, San Fran, New England, he's going to be the guy to watch. He's going to be the guy to watch. Never fucking happens. Never happens. But looked really good in this game. 11 targets. Led the team by far. Caught two touchdowns. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I, mean, I could definitely see Juju Smith-Schuster just dropping out of the fucking lineup altogether. Knee explodes. Playing time explodes. Everything, his fucking Twitch headset explodes. It's over for him. Oh, my goodness. All right, well, let's, um, the Dolphins-Chargers. I have so much to say about that game, so I'm actually going to put that last, and we're going to go to the Rams game and the Cowboys game first. So, Rams, Matt Stafford looked phenomenal. Matt Stafford looked phenomenal. Uh, there's a lot to take away here, too. Holy shit. All right. Um, Kyron Williams camp acres. I'm not going to lie. My mind was fucking blown when I looked at the box score and saw that cam acres had 22 carries. Every time they showed this game, it was Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams was getting the goal line work. Kyron Williams was getting the in between the twenties work. Kyron Williams was getting the targets in this game. Cam acres, man, this was disgusting, dude. 22 carries for 29 yards. He looked slow. He looked sluggish. There were reports towards the end of the summer, and I was relaying them to you. I was a little bit nervous about Cam. Kyron Williams was going to be involved in short yardage, pass-catching situations. Seems like it's a little bit more than that. Kyron Williams feels like he is here to stay. Is he going to be good over the long run? I don't know, but he's here enough to stay to make me fucking terrified about putting Cam Akers into my lineup. We are back to where we were last year, where you are hoping and praying that McVay wakes up on the right side of the bed that morning. On the Sunday morning, he says, ah, fuck it, you know, we'll take some coffee and we'll take some cam today. If he doesn't do that, you're shit out of luck. Oh, my God, he was bad in this one. Got a lot of work just because the game script was crazy, right? They were up big on Seattle, which nobody saw coming. But let's be real here. The biggest fucking takeaway was Puka, man. If you guys watched my, uh, my like, mustache video, I made a, a list of, like, seven players that you should stash before the season starts. Puka was one of them. With Cooper Cup out. With Cooper Cup out, Puka just fit in flawlessly. Dude had 15 targets, 
10 catches, 119 yards. I, I think a lot of people in my audience probably have Puka on their teams because of us kind of touting him the last few weeks. Um, Puka is built for this, man. Puka is built to play the role that Cooper Cup had. Puka is big. He is shifty. He is really good at working within the zone. He's working to find the soft spots in the zone. His catch radius is really underrated. He's making plays on balls that were not greatly thrown. Puka's absolutely here to stay while Cooper Cup is out. I continue to imagine he will lead the team in targets on a weekly basis. Let's see their schedule going forward. And if he's on the waiver wire, yes, he's the number one waiver wire pickup. The 49ers, that's really tough. Although they do struggle against the slot a little bit. We just saw that with Allen Robinson and Calvin Austin. And Pat Fryermuth scored a touchdown. 49ers, Bengals, also another team that you could throw against the slot. Colts, Philly tough, but I don't care, dude. You're, you're, you're starting Puka. Puka is probably, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but like definitely within the top 30 wide receivers next week. Maybe you creep him up top 24. That I don't even hate, man. 15 targets, 10 catches, 119 yards. He is priority number one. Uh, we're definitely looking to pick up Kyron Williams. I don't know if I'm ready to start him just because like, if you look at the numbers objectively, Say he doesn't get in to the end zone. We're looking at a pretty shitty day, but the convergence of those two together is extremely notable. 2-2. 2 had a big game. Van Jefferson fucking stinks, bro. Who likes Van Jefferson? There were people this summer that liked Van Jefferson. I feel like they got to go. You want to talk about Darwinism, bro? Figure out the people that like Van Jefferson. They got to... They've sent him to fucking Mars. Friend him, send him to Jupiter. Send him to the next fucking galaxy, bro. The Milky Way, we got no room for you here. Jefferson dropped a surefire 70-yard touchdown, and then he just looks at his hands. What did you do? What did you do to me? No, you fucking moron. It was you. It wasn't your hands. It hit you in your face. Tutu, though. Eight targets, six catches, 119 yards. I didn't think it had in him. I didn't think he had it in him. I guess I'm I'm like I'm not in on Tutu. I'm maybe I'm being dumb. Maybe he's gonna be really good, but like I'm I'm good on Tutu. On the other side of things, Kenneth Walker seems to have that backfield pretty surely uh, sewn up there. Five targets. DJ Dallas was the only other running back in the offense to have a target here. Uh, Kenneth Walker twelve carries to Zach Charbonnet's three. DJ Dallas is two. So very that that groin injury that he came in with didn't seem to hamper him whatsoever. The bigger concern here is they lost Charles Cross to a turf toe injury or just a toe injury. He was carted off. They also lost their other tackle, so their offensive line got kind of decimated quickly. Let's, let's get a quick look up here. If Charles Cross and Abe Lucas are both out significant time, the Seahawks season is done for. That feels pretty fucking dramatic. Um, but either way, yeah, that that is uh, that that's what happened here. We have Charles Cross has a sprained toe. Abe Lucas was dealing with the same sore knee he had in camp. That's not good. So those are two tackles that came on strong last year and were a big reason why the Seahawks were a lot better than people expected. Now they're dealing with injuries to both those guys. Not great. Uh, not good. I'm not overly J- JSN is still wearing that cast on his wrist, so he probably needs another couple weeks to be fully 100%. There are better days ahead, of course, for the Seattle's passing game, but like to do this against the Rams and just get schlacked at home, stock down, man down. Where are you from? Lock it. Got a little banged up in this game too. Just a shitty, just shitty all around passing day for um the 
Seattle Seahawks. So I want to say better days ahead, but I guess it's not great. Cowboys Giants. Holy fuck, are the Cowboys good on defense? I think the only real takeaway here is just Tony Pollard, man. 14 for 70 on the ground, two touchdowns, got the goal line work, only two catches for 12 yards, but he was involved everywhere. He was getting the short yardage work. He was explosive. They didn't need to use him. They didn't need to use him. You know, they got, they had like fucking eight defensive touchdowns in the first half. Made me sick. Made me sick. Yeah, everything about this game is disgusting. The weather was shitty, but like Dallas was just living in the backfield. Seven sacks on Daniel Jones. They could not keep up with this defense. This Dallas team is so legit, bro. This Dallas team is so real. And Jake Ferguson, I, I know he had a he had a bad game. I know we hyped him up a lot. Still led the team in targets, though. Seven targets. He dropped a pass. Could have had a much bigger day. Seven targets here. The next leading target getter was CeeDee Lamb Brandon Cooks with four. So again, on, on days where, you know, they don't score multiple defensive touchdowns and have takeaways close to their end zone, Dak will throw the ball rather than twenty four times, forty two times. And all of these players go pop pop. You know? They go pop pop. You're going to be happy you have him in your lineup. So, on the flip side of things, yeah, everybody's stunk in New York. Let's get to the last game of the week. Where do I start? Which side do I start on? Holy shit. Do I start on L.A. or do I start in Miami? I think I'll, I think I'll start. Okay. Let's start with L.A. Let's start with the running backs. Josh Kelly was another guy that I had in that video. Uh, guys, you should stash before the season starts. <clears throat> Isaiah Spiller was a healthy scratch. Josh Kelly filled in as that bruiser. The secondary bruiser that they've been looking for, Josh Kelly filled in and did so beautifully. For a bigger guy with not a ton of shiftiness, his explosion was there, man. His explosion was real. He looked he looked easily the best we've seen him look in an NFL uniform. And again, like I don't want to look at stats and production in the preseason, but he ripped off a 75-yarder in their last preseason game with the starters. And I was like, all right, he's got a little bit of juice to him, man. And then they proved him right. So 16 carries for Josh Kelly, 16 carries for Eckler. There was a very clear, this was, this was Kellen Moore's first game as the OC with the Chargers. There was a very clear um, game plan, and it was to run the ball. And I want to go back to the bookmark I had. Neutral pass rate. So this is when, you know, there's no team super up or super down. So you get like a real view of the play caller and like what they want to do with the offense. So the top ones are the ones that are passing the ball at the highest rate when they're either within six or seven points or whatever. Um, And you see Pittsburgh, you see Minnesota, you see Miami. On the bottom here, you start to see the other teams. And I realize you guys are cut off. You cannot see the last place team. You know why? Because it is Los Angeles Chargers running the ball in neutral game scripts at a rate of 33%. Can you just get on the damn screen? At 33% down here. The Falcons, the Packers, the Panthers, the Ravens. The Chargers at 33%, brother. They want to establish the run. I got... There's one real takeaway that I need to get on record right now. Justin Herbert. I have, I think I'm like, I I think I just don't believe in Herbert anymore. Herbert feels to me like, 
I don't want to say George Pickens of quarterbacks because he's better than that. Herbert, here's here's how I will define it, and here's the conversation I had with JMO in the office yesterday. I was thinking about if if you've owned Herbert before, especially like last year in fantasy or just recently, you get this that it things just never go right with him. He just can't put shit together. He's not really a winner, and he's inconsistent. His individual traits on a, on an individual trait by trait basis are as good as any quarterback in the NFL. Him putting it together consistently so rarely happens. It's not cute anymore. He's in his fourth year. He's the second highest player on the planet. He needs to get it together. He needs to stop throwing the ball 6.5 yards per attempt. This was the problem last year. Oh, we didn't have weapons. We're just dumping it off. Let's just blame the injuries. He's still not really throwing the ball downfield. He's still not executing on downfield throws. He's still throwing the ball inconsistently and without accuracy at the deeper levels. His arm strength is as good as anybody in the NFL. But there's more to being a great quarterback than showing high upside glimpses of what you're doing, bro. Herbert is like really making me nervous about what we think he is versus what he actually is as a quarterback because of the high-end traits, because of the viral Twitter clips we see. Here's what here's the way I put it. You're given nine, and we actually had this conversation before the drive happened yesterday. This was like in the third quarter, and I was like hoping we get to see it. I thought to myself, all right, there's 90 seconds left on a clock. You're down one touchdown. Quarterbacks that you want. Oh, did my camera just turn off? Give me a sec. We bike. Okay, sorry. I can't believe we're in the middle of story time. Just like the most riveting story time ever, and it just dies on me. I always have a, a chargeable battery in there. I don't know why we didn't have that. Anyways, okay. Let's re let's reset the uh, the environment here. There's 90 seconds on the clock. Your team is down a touchdown score, right? You're down a touchdown. I don't know if Herbert was in is within the top 10 guys at the quarterback position that I want on the field at that moment. I genuinely, when I ask myself, I'm not doing this for clicks. We're an hour and 37 minutes into a fucking live stream. If you're not in here already, this is not what's going to get you to click. I'm not saying this for clickbait. I genuinely believe this. I don't know. I, 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 I think I could name, I can name like eight for sure. I could probably name 10 quarterbacks that I would rather have under center Right now playing in the NFL. I'm not talking about Tom Brady retired, Drew Brees type shit. I'm talking about right now in the NFL that I would probably rather have than Justin Herbert being the one leading that drive. The dude just never gets it done, man. It's just so inconsistent. I think I can name, like, in this game, I would give me fucking Tua what he's doing right now. Give me Aaron Rodgers. Give me Josh Allen. Give me Patrick Mahomes. There, there is just so many QBs. He's the second highest paid player on the planet. 
but they just can't fucking figure it out. And yeah, we could blame Brandon Staley and we could blame injuries, but again, we're it's the fourth year. Like this is not when you're still talking about theoretical upside. You're getting to the big game. You're winning the big games. Like that's the shit that's happening. And Justin Herbert just seems to fucking disappoint all the time, dude. It's just so it's frustrating watching him because he's got all the tools in the world. But like, I just there's something in me that's just like, man, I don't know if we're ever going to get it put together from Herbert, man. The highlights will keep rolling out for years to come. He'll make the big plays. He'll make the big passes. But holy shit, I don't know, dude. He makes me he makes me nervous. He really fucking does. So takeaways, I think Mike Williams left this game for a minute because he was a little bit injured. Eckler still fucking elite. Here, here, Eckler, brother, <clears throat> Eckler needs to do one thing and one thing only for the remainder of the season if he wants to win over the whole, all of Los Angeles. Every time he scores a touchdown, every time he makes a big play, get up and do the same celebration. Write in your checkbook. Do this. Look up at the GM, the front office, and write a goddamn checkbook. This dude's going to score another 20 touchdowns. If he does this every single time, I think the fans and I think the front office will get the fucking message. I think it will dig and eat at them eventually. And the front office will get enough hate that they're pushed to sign this dude. I know that's not a, like that's not a good logical take whatsoever, but how electric would that be? Instead of playing the fucking electric guitar, Austin, get up, checkbook celebration, pay the man. I would go nuts. That would be so sick. I would be behind Eckler 100% if he just got up every time after a big play, scores a touchdown, rips off a 55-yard run, rips off a 35-yard catch. Checkbook, checkbook, pay me, pay me. We need it. We need Austin Eckler paid. Pay the man. He's so fucking good. Josh Kelly, major pickup this week. On the flip side of the ball, Mike McDaniel, holy shit, is this dude not the best play call in the NFL right now? I, I Out of respect to Andy Reid, I'm going to keep him in the throne, but Mike McDaniel is rapidly reaching his prime and putting on a show in Miami. Tua, 466 and three touchdowns. We were like in the first quarter, and I was like, Tua's going to throw for 500 yards this game. This is what we talked about all summer. This is why I was so fucking in on Tua and Tyreek and Jalen Waddell. They're formations and the amount of movement and pre-snap motion they get before the ball is even snapped just sets them. You have Tyreek Hill basically in full sprint mode behind the line of scrimmage. There's just no defense in the world. You could have 13 men on the field, 15 men on the field. You're not stopping Tyreek Hill. I'm not saying Tyreek Hill is the best wide receiver in the NFL because Justin Jefferson is, but he's probably the best fantasy wide receiver in the NFL. I don't know if I'd actually want Jefferson over Hill for the rest of the season. Tyreek Hill was our wide receiver three. And even that, I feel grimy. I should have had Hill over Jamar Chase. I should have had Hill over Jamar Chase. I should have stuck to my guns a little bit more on that. But holy shit. The thing with this def- this offense that people need to understand more is we keep uh, connecting Mike McDaniel with Kyle Shanahan. We look at Sam Fran. And we're like, oh, he comes from the Shanahan tree. They're going to run the ball and run the ball and find creative ways to run the ball. No. They are so pass happy. And I want to bring up some of those tweets that I had about Tua, I think. If I could still find them. Either way, this was something I had about Tua. I tweeted about Tua earlier on in the offseason. 
this is where he ranked last year. Obviously, he got hurt and, and missed a lot of time. But in terms of efficiency, yards per attempt, all this first amongst quarterbacks last year. This is fucking insane. But when you look at their um, their pass rate, right? Like last year, they were top eight in pass rate, and that jumped up to top six, I think, overall in games where Tua was playing. Mike McDaniel wants to throw the ball and throw the ball a shit ton. And we saw that again yesterday. 65% neutral pass rate. And this wasn't playing catch-up. That's another reason why I actually think that the Chargers ran the ball so many times because I think Brandon Staley knew that they could not stop Tua and Miami for shit. I think they knew they had no chance to stop them outside of getting lucky. So they were like, we need to slow down. Otherwise, they're going to score 45 touchdowns in this game. Oh my God, Tua and Tyreek and Waddle. And the other, th- listen, Waddle will have his bigger games. This is crazy. He had a, he had such a quiet game before for seventy eight. He breaks one play that turns into five for one thirty five and a touchdown. Those games will come. He will be fine. Tua four sixty six and three touchdowns, ten point four yards per attempt. Just the schemes that they run to get these dudes open. It's every single time. It's just like you just find if you're if you're one of those people that just like sit around with your friends watching football all day. You probably, this comment was probably thrown out 75 times yesterday. Why don't they just cover Tyreek Hill? How is he so open every time? The way that they scheme these fucking routes is unstoppable for Tyreek Hill, dude. It it feels like all they do is just run across, run a slant, run across, and he's open every time. It's because he fucking is, man. It's insane what they do there. Now, I was overly high on Raheem Mostert for sure. Um... I would say overall, maybe a little bit of a disappointing day, but this is a guy you got in the 10th, 11th round that you threw into your RB2 slot, and he put up, what, 37 yards, 6 points, 9.7. Raheem Moser, he also caught two passes, so we're talking about we're talking about like 12, 13 points. That's what you're going to expect. This is not a run-heavy team. Mostert's not going to get 20 carries a game. Devon A. Chain was a healthy scratch, which is kind of notable, but this, this team is not going to run through its running backs, as dumb as that sounds. This team is not going to... Um, they're not going to utilize their running backs to a degree that makes you super happy for fantasy. But Mostert's a great RB2. He's going to be that RB2, that RB1 in the offense, but an RB2 in fantasy until he gets hurt. But the receiving game is so condensed down to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, and Tua is so accurate. It looks like he's lobbing the ball sometimes. It looks like he should be picked off every play. He looks like Jimmy G with his arm strength, except he's so accurate. And, And... and I think people forget because his rookie season was a little wishy-washy and he had that major hip injury coming out of college. But when Tua was at Alabama, when he was in college, he was regarded as one of the most accurate QBs in the entire country and one of the more accurate QBs we had seen as a prospect in a really long time. And not because he had such arm strength, but we're seeing exactly who Tua was at Bama right now in the NFL. He's showing you who he is. Believe him. My God, Tua and Mike McDaniel were just all-time yesterday. And the Chargers' defense is just fucking atrocious. Everything about the Chargers makes me sick. If I was a Chargers fan, holy shit, I'd become a Falcons fan yesterday. Yesterday. Whew! Y'all thought I wasn't going to start the goddamn season off with an hour and 45-minute stream? We're doing this every Monday. Every single Monday, we're going game by game talking shit about Justin Herbert. Every Monday. A great guy, too. I hate that I had to do it to him. It'd be, your own, it'd be your own motherfuckers, man. Make sure you're subscribed, though, because, again, we're doing this every Monday. I'm going to film the waiver wire video in a couple of hours after I do a little more research. That'll go live tomorrow morning. We've got trade targets after that. Let's do um. Let's pick some underdog slips for the Monday night game. Fuck it. 
yeah, you think we didn't hit big yesterday? Of course we fucking hit big because we always hit. And if you're new to Underdog, if you want to hit some slips, if you're not yet signed up, again, if you get onto the app right now and you use promo code BDGE, they're going to double whatever you put down. They will double, literally double for free, whatever you put down, and you'll get a free square. You'll have a square right up here that says 0.5 total yards. You don't have to do shit. It'll just say 0.5 total yards here because you're a new, a new guy. They want to make you feel good. All right, so we've got Josh Allen and Buffalo at New York. So I actually had a slip, I believe, with Josh Allen on the under of his passing yards, but that passing yard number was at like 275. And the reason was because, one, the Jets' defense is fucking incredible. And last year, if you look back at Josh Allen, where he struggled the most was against the Jets' defense, man. Week 14, 16 for 27, 147 yards, one touchdown. Week 9, 18 for 34, 205 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Great games on the ground, 9 for 86 and 2. 10 for 47 and 1, cool. But we're looking at the passing numbers here. He struggled mightily. I know he's dealing with the elbow shit, definitely towards the second half of the year. But he had big games, Miami, Miami, I guess maybe just Miami, but they'll get the point. Either way, this is a really good Jets defense. So to be quite frank, I still might be looking at the lower passing yards, maybe the higher on rushing yards, though. That might be where I'm looking at it, although they'll probably keep a QB spy on him. So I think my favorite picks here would be Lower, higher, you can only pick one per player. So we'll we'll um let's go higher on rushing yards. James Cook. I think with these squares, the way you want to look at it is kind of figure out what what do you think the storyline of the game is gonna be? What what which way does the game go? You know what I mean? Like does New York stifle them? Does Buffalo score a lot of points? Is it a low scoring game overall? And I think you can kind of dictate what the game script ends up being based on that. I want to go under on everything Damian Harris, though rushing attempts feels low. Damian Harris, 5.5 receiving yards. Is he going to catch a pass? So so my first instinct here is I I, I kind of want to hit the lower on Damian Harris's lines, right? So the first thing I'll do is say, okay, 24.5 rushing yards, it does feel low. It certainly feels low. So I feel, I'm a little bit scared off of that, but I have very little confidence that he's going to hit receiving yards lines. Maybe he catches one pass for like fucking six yards. But what they did was they went from 24.5 rushing yards all the way up to 33.5 total yards. So they now, for whatever reason, moved that spread of 5.5 receiving yards up to 9 receiving yards. So this is where I'd be looking to take that lower on. I'm going to hit the lower on Damian Harris total yards. But now we have to pick a New York Jet because you got to pick a person on each side of the ball. Rodgers, 233.5. Passing yards seems low. Actually, it seems kind of high. Rodgers rushing yard. Is Rodgers like that on the ground? You think he could, he could scoot, skedaddle a little bit for some rushing yardage? Brees Hall, they got him. They got him down, down and out. So my my the way I'm looking at this is I think Dalvin Cook will be the guy. I think Dalvin Cook will be the dude that they lean on in the backfield, and they see it the same way where they're looking at Brees Hall underneath Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin Cook at 48 and a half rushing yards feels a little bit high, to be honest with you. Two receptions. I don't really see a ton of success from either running back here. I think Buffalo's defense is underrated. Brees Hall. How many carries is Brees Hall going to have? Five, maybe? Is he going to average seven, six, seven yards per carry? Eh. Garrett Wilson. I would never bet against Garrett Wilson, to be honest. Zart stinks. Conklin, Nicole. I kind of like Nicole for over 16 and a half. What kind of run is Nicole Hardman going to get? What do we think here? 
Nothing fucking useful on Twitter ever. What else is new? Greg Zerline, 1.5 field goals made. Are we just going to do a kicker prop? I don't know if I feel strongly enough about any of these individual player props right now on the Jets. If I had to choose one, I think I'd probably take the under on Cook's rushing yardage totals. Or Brees Hall's hmm, 50 rushing yards, receiving yards. I don't know how much Brees is going to play, man. I, I kind of feel like he's not going to get more than like eight touches total. All right, we're gonna take the, we're gonna take the lower on Brees Hall, even though I feel like an idiot doing it. You know what? No, 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 no. We're pivoting. We're taking the over on the kicker, Greg. Greg the leg. Let's fucking ball. One point five field goals made. Josh Allen over thirty six and a half rushing yards. Damian Harris under thirty three and a half total yards. Let's put a fifty spot on it for three hundred bucks now. Oh, you guys can't see that. If you come on to Underdog and you deposit fifty bucks with our code BDG. You'll have a hundred dollars to play with. How about them fucking apples? Fuck it. Let's ball. Share. Yeah. All right. Well, there's week one Monday stream. Again, we'd be doing this shit every Monday. Damn, we had two thousand concurrent viewers in here the whole time. That's pretty cool. You guys are some cool fucking people. What's going on in the chat? It's probably way too much. Honestly, looking at the chat right now is going to give me anxiety. I don't think I could do it. I'm sorry. Normally, when we do our Saturday streams and our Sunday streams, it's only Q&A. It's only interactive with y'all. I could do it. But right now, I got Mondays. I got work to do. So I'm going to get to it. That's about two hours. Two hours. Holy shit. Might be my longest stream ever. Damn. Week one be like that, though. Um, All right. Well, thank you guys for hanging out. Hit the thumbs up button if you enjoyed. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you prefer listening via podcast, that's also available for you. BDGE, Fantasy Football, and all podcast shows. But obviously, the best way to support us is to go to Underdog. Use promo code BDGE when you sign up and deposit $10 or more. All right. I'll see you guys tomorrow for the waiver wire video. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.